It is good to be with you. Uh, two straight Sundays from the pulpit, so that is pretty fun for me. So for those of you that maybe haven't been with us, we are in a series called Cultivate, Breaking the Fallow Ground, which that brings the agricultural image that there has been land in our hearts that has been laid barren for a while and that God wants to stir something up in your life. And a way that we can do that is through something called spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. And that as Robert Mulholland said in his book, Invitation to a Journey, that our spiritual formation is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Or as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. And that church, as we cultivate our faith, that we individually get to experience God in fresh and brand new ways that stoke our love for him. But also as we cultivate our faith, it is for the sake of others. That it is for the sake of even this church body that as we engage with spiritual disciplines together and as we pursue the presence of God together, that we can encourage each other to do good things. And that as we even leave from here and go to our workplaces, go to our families, go out to the marketplace, wherever that you go, that our faith in Christ and that our stirring of the disciplines and a stirring of our love for God is for others. And so for those of us that are married or have kids or grandkids, that we stir up our faith, not merely for myself, but so my kids can see Jesus in me. And maybe that generation after generation can look back at your faithfulness to the gospel. And a way that we do that is through engaging the spiritual disciplines. And so this morning, we are gonna talk about a very fun spiritual discipline that we call fasting. So if you don't mind, let's pray and we'll get into it. Lord Jesus, none of what we do this morning without you means anything. That as we open your word, as we sing songs of praise to you, if you're not present, then there's no reason that we should even be gathering. So Jesus, I pray that you through your spirit would unleash in this place that we would have an open mind, open ears, and an open heart to see, hear, and receive the things that you have for us this morning. Would we be good hearers, but even better doers? And as we talk about the discipline of fasting, Lord, would you give us a desire for more and more and more of you? Because you are good and you are worthy. We dedicate this time and space to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we are in the midst of a culture that is obsessed with your body, with how it should look, what it should consume, and why you should give your body everything that it desires. If you don't believe me, go into the magazine section in your local Meyer or Walmart or County Market, and the covers of those magazines will give you a mixed bag of messages that all will try to tell you about how your body should look and what it should consume. In one section, you will have these like women who are jacked or anything like that, and you will have covers that say, this is how you can get your goddess body, 
or men's health magazines that have Jason Samoa, the Jack guy from Aquaman or from Game of Thrones. If you don't know what Game of Thrones is, don't watch it, well done, not great. But we have these men's magazines that have these ripped guys and they tell you how to get your dream six pack. And like, there's all of these different magazines that tell you about how your body should look. And then you take two steps this way and you get to like the food section the perfect cake for your holiday season. And here's the feast that you should indulge. Here's all the sweets and the good stuff. What a mixed bag of messages, y'all. Like the magazines over here are telling you that you need to eat like just barely anything so you could have 2% fat. And then over here is like, eat all the sweets because it makes your body feel good. Our culture is obsessed with our bodies, about giving it what it desires. Whether that's to look like a supermodel or whether it's to indulge in whatever we want. And that doesn't just go for food. Because though Planned Parenthood might have had the adopted phrase, my body, my choice, that has been something that we as humans have adopted for our general way of life. That because this is my body, I can choose to do whatever I want with it. So I bring all of that up to ask the question, what does our discipleship to Jesus have anything to do with my body? Does it have anything to do with my body? Because isn't our faith in Jesus merely a spiritual journey of sanctifying the soul, but with my body, I can do whatever I want with it? But yeah, I would argue, church, that part of our spiritual discipline, our becoming more like Jesus for the sake of others, that this discipleship journey is not merely a spiritual within just like your spirit, but that as we become more like Jesus, it involves spirit and body. That it is a holistic transformation to become more like Jesus, both body and soul which is a tension that many of us, including myself, have misunderstood for so long. And one of the key practices that we can engage in as the body of Christ and you as a child of God in order to engage in this holistic work is called fasting. So for the purpose of this morning, we're gonna do a brief biblical journey in regards to the relationship between body and spirit and where, the fasting, where fasting plays into the biblical story. And then we're gonna wrap up by landing in Galatians 5 like Darmic read for us. And we're gonna look at how Paul writing to the Galatians actually has a lot to do with fasting. So if you do have a Bible, we're gonna go through a journey of fasting throughout scripture. So if you have a paper Bible with you, I would love to hear the pages turn. If not, I would love to hear your thumb scroll. We're gonna start in Genesis chapter two. Yes, I hear some pages, that's awesome. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look just at verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. This is the Genesis 2 story of how man came to be. 
take note within that passage, it was not a, this is spirit only, and his name is Adam, which by the way, man in Hebrew is Adam, which is where we get the name Adam from. But take note that God created flesh and spirit. From the very beginning, before the fall, man was designed to have this thing that we call flesh or our body, but within that body, we have something called the spirit, our spirit, that God created with the very breath from his mouth and breathed into our nostrils that life that we call spirit. And yes, your spirit within you will rejoice at the very end that we will get some kind of resurrection body. So if your body is not necessarily the thing that you absolutely love about yourself, we're gonna get a resurrection body. Amen, glory be. But your spirit within you is the one thing that will remain through all eternity. But I say this, church, your body is important that you aren't just merely a soul, both your flesh and your soul are divinely created entities that both holistically make up you. That you are, as scripture says, beautifully and wonderfully made. No matter what you might see in the mirror when you look at you, God was looking at him when he made you. You are beautiful, you are wonderful. You're created with purpose and meaning. So the next time that you look at yourself in the mirror and doubt who you are, you might want to take a quick second and realize whose image you're made in. Your body is valuable because God made it and he said it was good. And so we need to like early Christians knew, we need to understand that both physical body and spirit are both important in our discipleship to Jesus. Let's, if you have to flip a page, you can, but we're gonna be in Genesis chapter three. Gonna read verses one through six. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. I've never, in my days of being in church, have heard the fall being pinpointed to a dimension of it involving food. We talk at length about the spiritual implications of eating the fruit. But if you still have your Bibles open, look again at Eve in verse 6. She said that the woman, or the text says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. 
This wasn't food that was completely disfigured. She saw that the fruit was good to look at. And she, in that moment, like many of us, as a result of the fall, we have this tension of following the spirit or following our flesh. And she, in that moment of free will, chose not to abide in the goodness of God, but she saw what could potentially be the goodness of the fruit, and she chose her flesh. And she turned around and with her husband there, gave him the fruit, and he ate it. And I love that Nathan on occasion had said that Adam let Eve dance with the devil. It's awesome. Well, not awesome. You get what I mean. But also hear me very clearly. Food is not the enemy. So as we go through this conversation on fasting... Don't hear me say that food is the enemy. It is not. But we engage in the discipline of fasting and abstaining from food for greater gain. So hear me very clearly, because I would be naive to think that there are some of us in here that might have an unhealthy relationship with food. And we'll get to that towards the end of what the Lord has for us. So, As Eve engaged in this battle between the spirit and the flesh, so we also, as followers of Jesus, are engaged in this battle. And the world around us is engaged in this battle, but without Jesus, there's not much of an awareness of what the spirit really needs. But we, since we were brought into this world, had this continuous battle between obeying what your flesh really, really desires, like the things on the covers of those magazines, or for those of us found in Christ, obeying what the Spirit wants for us. That is an eternal battle, at least while we're here on earth, that we wrestle with. So if you don't mind, let's get to the New Testament. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. If you think that fasting was an Old Testament thing, Jesus talks about fasting. And he actually practiced it in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) One of the most obvious three words in all of Scripture. I can barely go a meal without food. Then the tempter approached Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Popular story, but in this moment, Jesus had just been baptized, raised out of the water, spirit descends like a dove, and the voice from heaven says, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus begins his earthly ministry not from going to the government buildings and proclaim his kingship, he actually goes to the wilderness. He was led by the spirit. 
to go to the wilderness for 40 days. And he fasted. So you think that the tempter in this passage is sitting back like, all right, it's day 40. Let's get him. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. But yet what the tempter didn't know was that in that moment, Jesus might physically have been hungry, but he was actually spiritually more strong than he had ever been. That when the enemy thought that he was attacking Jesus at his weakest, he was actually the most prepared. And so then the enemy is trying to get Jesus at where he is weakest, or so he thought. He said, look, Jesus, because obviously Satan knows who Jesus is. If you are the son of God, you could easily turn that little brick into a nice brick of bread. Jesus could have done that, but he didn't. He chose obedience to the spirit over obedience to the flesh. And that Jesus in that wilderness defeated the tempter like Adam and Eve could not. And though when we enter fasting, our body might feel weak, but as we fast and abstain from food, that feeling of weakness in our flesh does not compare to the strength that we feel and the power we get from the Spirit when we choose to fast. Last passage we'll dive into before we get into Galatians 5. Flip a page or two to Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 16. Once again, love the pages flipping. That makes my heart so happy. So this is Jesus teaching at the Sermon on the Mount, which for those of you that were curious as we're talking about the spiritual disciplines, Sermon on the Mount is one of Jesus' most famous sermons. Jesus specifically gives instructions on three disciplines. That would be prayer, fasting, and taking care of the poor. It's interesting Jesus didn't give a driving out demon sermon, didn't give a preaching sermon. He talked about prayer, fasting, and feeding the poor. And so here in Matthew 6, 16 to 18, we get Jesus' teaching on fasting. Whenever you fast, he says, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Two things to note as we look at this passage. Number one, Jesus assumes that followers of Yahweh were fasting. Take note of the first word, whenever you fast, not if you fast, that a regular part of their discipleship to Yahweh was regular fasting. Not like, oh man, I put on an extra five pounds, I better fast. Or man, I'm in a real pinch and I think the most spiritual thing I could do to get God's attention would be to fast right now. But followers of Yahweh had regular times of fasting. And that fasting actually more became a secondary practice around the 18th century. 
that from the time that Adam and Eve fell in Genesis 3 to about the 18th century, fasting was a regular part of what God's people did. And Jesus assumed that his followers would fast. Second, take note that Jesus also knew that we would really mess it up. Take note of how he describes the hypocrites and how they would try to make their fasting known. They would look gloomy so they would seem extra spiritual, like, oh man, Bill, like, how you doing? You look rough. I'm glad you asked. I haven't eaten in a day because I'm fasting, because I'm awesome and I have a killer relationship with God. The hypocrites would make their fasting known, and we laugh about that, but yet, how many people have you seen on Instagram that make their social media fast known to everybody before they do it? They literally make a post about the thing they're trying to avoid, saying, I just, I feel like I need to connect with the Lord, and they give like this whole post that they probably spent a day thinking about. As followers of God, we don't make our fast known. Like the passage says, Jesus says, shower, look okay. You don't have to make your fast known to everybody. Because the purpose of a fast isn't to show off your righteousness, but it's actually to connect with the Father. Sorry if I offended some of you about like an Instagram fast you're about to go and you were about to press send on the post. So for the rest of our time this morning, we're gonna revisit our passage in Galatians and we're gonna talk a little bit more about what fasting actually is, why we fast, and then hopefully towards the end, giving you some helpful principles of how to fast. So let's start by just explaining a little bit of what fasting is not. Then we'll talk about what biblical fasting is. So number one, fasting is not abstaining. While abstaining from things like social media, Netflix, pornography, whatever it is that you're gonna to choose to abstain from, those things are good, but they're just not what the Bible describes as fasting. And scripture specifically mentions that as you fast, that it is a neglect of food. Fasting is also not a restricted diet, although that can be good. If you need to cut out sugar in your life, great, do it. Just don't call it a fast. Last, fasting is not a dietary or a health fad. Once again, diets and health trends are good. If you feel led to do that, great. Don't call it fasting. Because for an example, anyone ever heard of the Daniel fast? All right, cool, have a few guilty parties. So it's based off of Daniel chapter one, when Daniel is in captivity in Babylon and he gets like called up by the big shots and he's eating all their food and he's like, oh man, I'm gonna eat vegetables, drink water, and I'm gonna show them I'm gonna look healthy. Great story. If you wanna read it for yourself, Daniel chapter one, but if you read throughout that passage, you will not find the word fast once. You know Why? They ate vegetables. They are eating food. That is not fasting. That's a restricted diet, though good, not neglecting from the story, but it's just not fasting. 
to clarify, I'm not demonizing these things. If you cut out sugar from your life, lovely. Hopefully your physical body experiences the benefit of not eating sugar. If you're deciding to go vegan or whatever, I would encourage you to eat a good steak and just taste and see that the Lord's good. (laughs) But if you legitimately are a vegan, we love you and I admire your faith. So let's lay out what biblical fasting is. Simply put, fasting is not eating food in order to feed on the Holy Spirit. Say that again. Fasting is not eating food in order to feed on the Holy Spirit. Or, as John Piper says, whole body hungering for God. Or as Dallas Dallas Willard says, if you know, I quote him a lot. I kind of love his writing. Fasting is feasting on our Lord and doing his will. That when we fast church family, that we don't do it to show off. We don't do it to show God how strong we are or to try to get God to do what we think that we deserve. We regularly fast to abstain from food so that we could get more of God. So that our soul deep within us, as our body aches for food, and as I mentioned steak, my mouth is starting to like salivate. It's awesome. But all the more, Do we have moments in our lives where we just stop and do a self-check of our spirit and we're like, God, I just need more of you. As it says in Psalm 34, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And if you've tasted and seen, then do you have moments in your life where you're like, I haven't read my Bible in a week, God. Forgive me, but I need more of you. Have you had that hungering deep in your soul? That the very God that has been good and faithful and has kept you all of these years through the high moments and the low, that this God wants to meet with you and that we here on earth can choose for certain periods of time to abstain from food, to feed more on him. And let me tell you, church, that's not an invitation that God won't meet you at. When we choose to fast and create space for God, get God. I could spend an entire rest of the day just talking about that. That Yahweh, the creator God, spoke creation into existence. The God who made a way for you wants to meet with you. And that as we choose to fast and choose to abstain from food, that we can get God and his presence. So throughout scripture, most biblical fasts are described as being a full 24 hours. Some could be from sun up to sun down. Some do a few days, some do longer. Some fast throughout the Bible, they still drink water, others don't. That fast within scripture can be an individual call to fast, but it can also be a communal one. And there are only three 40-day fasts mentioned throughout the scripture. And for the Bible nerds, and hopefully for you, if you're not a Bible nerd yet, I'd love for you to join the crew. But the three 40-hour fasts are Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. 
Moses, the face of the law, Elijah, the face of the prophets, and Jesus fulfilling them both. The three recorded in Scripture to do 40-day fast. So throughout the Bible, as I see it, there are three main biblical reasons for us to fast. The first, we've already talked about it, to starve the flesh to feed the spirit. The second is prayer. In particular, if you see Ezra 8, Judges 20, or one of my favorites is Nehemiah chapter 1, where Nehemiah hears that the walls in Jerusalem are, are torn down, and he feels this ache within him, this hurting and anguish for his ancestors. And instead of just rioting with pitchfork, he actually chooses to fast and pray on behalf of Jerusalem. And then the last one is to stand in solidarity with the poor. If you want a beautiful passage on that, Isaiah 58. That there are times where we choose to fast to actually relate with the poor and the ones that God intimately and beautifully made in the same image as you. And that we can choose to fast to stand in solidarity with the poor of our community and in the world. So let's go to Galatians chapter five. If you have your Bibles, we can land there for this morning. So Paul, throughout a majority of his writings, talks about the same battle that we've been talking about this morning, this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And as you turn to Galatians five, I'm gonna read a passage in Romans eight that beautifully describes this battle we have between flesh and spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Paul talks often, and he mentions in Galatians 5 as well, this eternal battle between flesh and spirit and how it's not a battle that just goes away as soon as you choose to follow Jesus. Quite the contrary, that battle actually amplifies when you choose to name and claim and follow Jesus. Because when you choose to follow Jesus, that actually gives the tempter another target. Because Satan wants nothing more than for you to obey the desires of your flesh rather than to obey the spirit. And so Paul in Romans chapter eight and here in Galatians chapter five talks about it. So in Galatians 5.13, for you were called to be free brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. And so in order to engage in this work, one of the key practices we do have is fasting. Because when we fast, 
We are choosing in that moment, in that certain time period that you set aside to abstain from obeying the desires of your flesh, in this case, eating food. And when you choose to abstain from eating food and as you choose to feast on God, and as idealistic as we would have that to be, that you could like sit in your house and instead of eating, going over to the pantry, sneaking a meal, that like all of a sudden the Shekinah glory of God falls on you and like tongues of fire and all the good stuff that happens to you. I would love to hear about it. That'd be awesome. But oftentimes when you fast, it will feel more like a battle than it will glory. Because as Romans 8 says, and as Paul mentions often in his letters, that this battle of obeying the flesh versus the spirit, it is exactly that. It's warfare. Satan wants you to obey the desires of your flesh, but as we fast and abstain from food, we must, in those moments, not fill that time of fasting with something else, but we must in that moment choose to latch ourselves onto and obey the Spirit. Whether you do that through singing worship songs or praying or reading your Bible, we must, in moments of fasting, choose obedience to the Spirit. Or as Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 16, I say then, Walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then the rest of the passage goes on to talk about what the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit look like. And we can read the works of the flesh. And for those of us that have been following Jesus for a really long time, we read some of those things. We're like, that's not me. I'm not sexually immoral. I'm not like murdering people. I'm not a, involved in sorcery. But there's so much in this list that we could skip by. And we could just immediately assume that our life in the spirit is extremely vibrant. But I would tell you, church, that when you choose to fast, as Richard Foster says, fasting reveals the things that control us. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface through fasting. When you choose to fast, some of the ugly stuff will show up. Things that maybe you've suppressed for years. But when you choose to fast and abstain from food, like I'll share a little bit just to be vulnerable. When I choose to fast, I get angry. Not like hangry because I just want a cheeseburger, but like when I choose to fast and when my kids come up to me and like are bugging me about something, I will notice in those moments, if I choose obedience to the flesh, I'm way quicker to be impatient. But in those moments of fasting, I need to, instead of letting the flesh win and letting the enemy win, I need to rely more on the spirit. And when I am fasting, I need to choose patience with my children. Which by the way, parents, it is a choice. I know your kids could just seem like they get on that last nerve and Jesus will forgive me because there's grace upon grace. But you can choose in that moment to be patient. You can choose to be kind. Which if you look at the second list of the fruit of the Spirit, that's what it's like to abide in the Spirit. 
Because we once again have an idealistic view of what the fruit of the Spirit is. We think that we do that within this bubble without any kind of opposition, but the fruit of the Spirit is actually in the midst of spiritual opposition. Now, when we choose to love, it's because the enemy hates that you love. And when you choose to love, the enemy wants you to do nothing more than to stop loving. When you are patient, that's when the enemy is poking you like, come on, come on. Your kid's really annoying you. Come on, just let, let it go, let it go, let it go. When someone is being extremely mean to you and all you want to do is just unleash on them, but you choose to be kind, it's in those moments that we defeat the power of the enemy and we choose obedience to the Spirit. And with every step of obedience in the Spirit, we begin to see more of this fruit show up. Once again, not that it becomes easier, but as you become to become more obedient to the Father and you see and you taste of that fruit of the Spirit and others taste and see the fruit of the Spirit within you, then we really, as the psalmist said, we do taste and see that the way of the Lord is good. Here comes another Dallas Willard quote, as he says about fasting, in fasting, We learn how to happily suffer as we feast on God because in our lives we will suffer no matter what else happens. I don't know if you're in this room and you think you've never gone through anything hard, but we've all gone through hard seasons, difficult events have happened, and especially for those of us that choose the way of Jesus and are aware of this battle between the spirit and the flesh, we have moments where we feel like the enemy is just attacking every single side of us. But as we choose to fast, and as we choose in those moments obedience to the spirit, we actually choose to model what Jesus modeled for us. Question, did Jesus unrighteously suffer? It's what he did on the cross. Jesus continually chose obedience to the Spirit when things got really hard. If you don't believe me, read in Scripture about the Garden of Gethsemane prayer where Jesus in that moment is having battle between obedience to the Father and obedience to the flesh. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And Jesus ultimately suffered on our behalf. And that we, church, when we choose to fast, we actually choose to align ourselves with the way of Jesus. And we choose to walk in the way that Jesus walked. Verse 13 does open in Galatians chapter 5, and it says, you were called to be free. And we could think, because God has called us to be free, that we could use our freedom to, we don't have to fast. I could eat all the butter burgers I want. You could. Might not be good for your physical body. 
But often within the church, we see freedom as a license to still do whatever we want because grace upon grace upon grace. And though that is true, we often can abuse our freedom in the name of Jesus to choose whatever we want. But yet, we are actually called to use our freedom to attach ourselves to Jesus. The way that our culture defines freedom isn't actually freedom. Because freedom isn't the ability to do whatever you want. That's called slavery. Our culture is enslaved to the desires of their flesh. And wouldn't you know it, as they indulge in the flesh and choose whatever they want, they are enslaved to their desires. Because I had that one moment that was so good and I did this thing and that thing and I need more, I need more. And they keep going in this restless pursuit of happiness and fulfillment. And there seems to be this rat race of fulfillment within their lives that they can't find in things of this world. And as we choose the things of the flesh, we actually choose slavery to our flesh. But that ultimate freedom, church, is the ability to live in the Spirit and want what the Spirit wants. That is when we experience freedom. Because God is good. God works all things out for the good of those who love him, and it might not be easy. Actually, it'll probably be hard. But as we choose obedience to the Spirit, we actually find the greatest freedom in him because we're no longer enslaved to the desires of our flesh, but we actually choose the desires of what God wants for you. And for those of us that love control, that's hard. Because I'm the captain of my destiny. Go to a high school graduation, and you tell me that those speeches aren't to gratify the desires of my flesh. You're going to be a world changer. You do you. You go do all of that, and you're going to conquer the world. Very rarely will you hear a graduation speech say, crucify your flesh and follow the way of Jesus. But we as followers of Jesus are called exactly to that, as Paul says, and as Jesus ultimately said, to pick up your cross and follow me. And that through fasting, we learn obedience in the midst of suffering. So I want to close by giving some recommendations as we look at, and hopefully for those of us that are desiring more of God and to choose to do so through fasting, want to give us some guides, hopefully some pointers, tips for how we can fast well. So first, if you have health complications that would possibly prevent you from fasting, hear me, don't risk your health. But if you want to engage in fasting, please talk to a medical professional. Talk to your doctor. If you really want to make it happen, then your doctor is probably going to be your best source of wisdom for that. Because throughout scripture, fasting was never meant to be a legalistic thing. It was meant to be a relational thing. And if you're going to risk your physical body being harmed in order to fast, please talk with a medical professional. Likewise, second point, I want to be extremely sensitive because there might be some of you in this room who might be struggling with an eating disorder 
or body image issues that are very real. And fasting for you right now might be more traumatizing than uplifting. And I want to advise you, talk with a counselor, talk with a therapist, talk with a pastor. And work with it, with them. Because body image issues, eating disorders are very real. And I know many people that might feel convicted that they have to fast and that by doing that, they will turn their fast into a, my body's not good enough, or I'm not good enough. And if that's you, I'm sorry. And we as a church family should walk with you and be gracious with you. And so if that's you, please talk to a counselor, talk to a therapist. You could talk to a pastor, trusted spiritual leader, but once again, like I said before, don't risk your health because your body matters. But for those of us that might not fall into those two categories, as another reminder, there are no rigid definitions of how long we should fast. So don't hear me say you have to fast one 24-hour period a week or like every three months you should fast for an entire week. There's no rigid definitions throughout scripture. Because as Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, your father who sees in secret will reward you. So as you sit before the father and as you have conversations with him about this practice of fasting and as he lays certain time periods, time frames on your heart to in secret before the father obey him. And some might feel called to fast like one week a month, some might for 24 hours or sun up to sundown or whatever that might look for you. But I want you to be more obedient to the spirit than to rigid religious rules. And also, if you are in a small group, shameless plug for a quick second. If you're not in a small group, we have a bulletin board out here with so many awesome small groups that we would love for you to dive deep with. But I would encourage small groups in regards to fasting to try to pick a set aside period of time each week that the group would fast together. Number one, for like accountability. Number two, there's also this encouragement piece, knowing that if you are fasting and choosing suffering alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you will then be more encouraged to fast and more encouraged to seek the Lord. So if your small group wants to engage in this discipline, my encouragement would be for y'all to get together, talk about fasting, and try to set aside a period of time for you guys to fast every week. For an example, my small group meets on Thursdays. Shout out to our small group. Um, but for our small group, maybe we could fast on Wednesday and then for our last meal Thursday for, di for dinner, we eat and we feast and we talk about what the Lord's done. Or maybe we begin our fast on that Thursday night and we actually set aside, instead of eating our meal together, we pray, sit before the Father and ask that he would speak mightily through our fast. So for your small group, I would love for you to get together and talk about how your small group could fast together. Once again, with points number one and two, making sure that you're not risking your physical health, 
but fasting in community is a great way to engage in this discipline. And last but not least, as you engage in fasting, you are going to feel the urge to eat. Especially if you're like in your home and you know where the pantry is, you know where the ho-hos are. You're like, Lord, I've like fasted for two hours. You, you know that's good, right? You're really good. You're really cool. Like, I like that, but ho-hos. Or whatever your like vice is. But I wanna encourage you, child of God, that when your stomach growls or when you have the natural reflex to reach into your pantry to grab that thing, in that moment, take that hunger and redirect it to the Lord. As soon as you feel your stomach gurgle, be like, Lord, as I desire food, I want more of you. Or as you're desiring that thing and you just imagine what it would taste like and the juiciness of whatever that thing is and you're like, Lord, would I be so intimately close with you that I would be so aware of what you are like? Because we know how to describe a number one at Chick-fil-A, but can we describe the presence of God with such intimacy? And Paul, as we've talked about a few times in Romans chapter seven, actually describes this beautiful picture for us. He kind of opens up his heart and talks about this very real battle of the flesh versus the spirit. And he actually says in Romans chapter seven that the very evil that he doesn't want to do, he actually finds himself sometimes doing. And he talks about this battle between like wanting to give into the flesh versus obeying the spirit. And so if Paul, one of the greatest missionaries in human history, struggled with this battle, understand, church, that we also, as we engage with fasting, will struggle, and as Jesus even alluded to, will probably mess up. And that's okay. Because God's not just after your physical like body, though important. He's after your heart. And as we choose to fast and use our freedom to cling to him, the Father sees that. And that as we choose to fast and engage with the presence of God, God has already been pursuing you. So don't think for a second that you have to fast in order to get God. We fast to create space for God, but God is already passionately pursuing you and he's after your heart right here and now, regardless of what you came in here carrying, regardless of your life situation, whether you're actually following Jesus right now or not, Jesus is passionately pursuing you. He loves you. He died for you. He's made a way for you to have life and peace, as Paul said in Romans chapter eight. And that as we church choose to fast, And as we choose obedience to the Spirit, may we in those moments lean so hard into God. But understand, church, that you're not in this battle alone. Because we often can think in individual terms about our relationship with God and there are battles that like I might face within my flesh that I think I'm isolated alone and no one knows what I'm going through. But we have here the body of Christ 
we choose to link arms together, understanding that we have people in our midst who can be a source of encouragement, source of comfort, and that as we fast and as some of these things begin to bubble up within our soul, that's why it's important to be in a small group so that we could be able to come together, share those things, and have a small group of people who love you and care about you to be able to rally around you, pray for you. You're not in this alone. At church family, we have the blessed opportunity to pursue the presence of God together. And that as we choose to fast, to feast on God, let's lean in together, knowing that what God can speak or do through and for us is far better than anything that we could ever try to produce. And that as we, in those moments of emptiness, because we choose to not eat food, that we would be so much more hungry for the Spirit, and as we feast on the Spirit, that we would desire more and more and more of Him. May we be a consecrated church family, set apart for the Lord, that the Spirit would do a work within us to show that fruit of the Spirit so that a lost and dying world around us would also be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. So let's fast well, Connection Church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can come before you in fasting, not just based off of some kind of religious pressure, but that we can choose to abstain from food completely to gain you completely. May you, as we fast, be the focus of our soul. And that as things rise within our soul, as we choose to fast, that we would lift those things before you and that, as Peter says, to cast our anxieties and our cares upon you because you care for us. That as we fast and as sin pops up in our minds and our hearts and as we confess those things to you, would we be reminded in 1 John that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that as you, through Jeremiah, said that those who seek you, that we will find you. And I pray that as our church family engages with fasting, whatever that looks like for each of us individually or within our small groups or as a whole body. God, I pray that you would meet us. Unleash your love as we fast. Unleash your peace as we fast. Unleash your your patience, your kindness, and would the fruit of the Spirit begin to fill us so that our spouses can see and taste, so that our kids can see and taste, and so that our community, that our our workplaces, and that the world would be able to see that we are followers of Jesus who are eagerly seeking and desiring your presence. God, if you can use the people in Scripture, I for sure know you can use us. As we fast and seek you, would you... Fill us so that we could be a witness wherever we go. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here. And I just pray that you would continue to give us the desire to want to be with you more.
And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.